official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at wellchurchvt.com. So as Ian mentioned, we've been hanging out in the book of Acts, and there's this section of Acts in the beginning of the book that kind of talks about persecution quite a bit. And I've noticed that for the last three weeks, we've talked about persecution, and our Sunday attendance gets smaller and smaller. We, we got to finish this before Easter comes, or we're not going to have anyone here. <laughs> How many of you guys remember being in school, and you had a big project due, at the end of the semester or the end of the month, and you had planned out how much you need to do each week to, to finish and get done by that deadline. But then what happens? You, you, you mess up. Right? You, you, you take a weekend off and you don't do the work and you fall behind and you have to pull an all-nighter to catch up. Well, that's kind of what I did with my sermon last week. I, I was supposed to cover all of Acts chapter 6 and I only did seven verses. So... I've got to today, my job is to kind of cram uh, and catch up and cover the last half of Acts chapter 6 and all of chapter 7. Now that's 68 verses. And I try not to preach over a half hour, so I got 30, less than 30 seconds of verse, which is really kind of just impossible. But what I used to do when I did my all-nighters at school is I would oftentimes look for a shortcut to save me time. Did you ever do that? Okay. Well, I did that this week. I looked for a shortcut, and um, thankfully, thank God, <laughs> I found one, and I, I owe part of that credit to my friend Joel a few years back. Joel wrote a whole bunch of songs about the book of Acts, because we all do that, right? We sit around and write songs about books in the Bible. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's, he's, a, he's a strange bird. But, but he, he did, he, it was amazing. He, he wrote all these songs about the book of Acts, and his goal was to every day write a song about one chapter in Acts. And so I knew he had done that because he'd shared a few with me a few, while, a few years back. And, and as we jumped into this series on Acts, he, kept, he sent me a few of them. And I'm like, oh yeah, Joel did those songs. These are awesome. And I was playing them throughout the weeks and, and during my prayer time. And he sent me uh, the one for Acts chapter 6. And I said, this is my shortcut. <laughs> so instead of covering the back half of Acts chapter 6, I thought we could play Joel's song. It's a 57-second little ditty, just a little ditty. It's a lo-fi recording, so all the hipsters in the room will just really appreciate that. But let's play, let's play Joel's song, which covers the last half of Act 6. One
So if you want to sign up for Joel's record of the book of Acts, that's just a little snippet for you. So let's really quickly, let's go back and review a little bit of last week where we covered the first half of chapter 6. We looked at the early church was facing two major problems that were plaguing the church, disorganization and discrimination. And what we find in the first half of Acts chapter 6 is that one group of Jews called the Hellenistic Jews were complaining that uh, their widows were not being attended to with the distribution of food. And so they, they were being discriminated against because they spoke Greek and they attended a synagogue that worshipped in Greek, while this other group of Jews, their widows were being well taken care of. And so this comes to the apostles' attention, and once the apostles learn of it, they address it immediately. They, they make reparations. And how they do this was they appoint seven individuals, and these seven individuals come from within the offended minority. They come from the group of Hellenistic Jews where their widows are being overlooked because they're going to a Greek-speaking synagogue. And what we find here in Acts chapter 6 is really the first case of affirmative action by the early church, that they're committed to rooting out any discrimination. And it's a really kind of potent beginning to the chapter. Now, one of the seven individuals who are chosen to take on this task of distributing the food, one of them was named Stephen. Now, Acts chapter 6 tells us that the qualifications for these seven people who were chosen um, were that they had to have a good reputation, they had to be godly, full of the Holy Spirit, demonstrate wisdom so that they can ensure equality and fairness in the distribution of food. But one of these seven, his name was Stephen. And the next 68 verses of the book of Acts tell Stephen's story. So it's a significant portion of the book. And we know from the second half of chapter 6, and as Joel's saying, that Stephen was a man who was full of God's grace and power. He performed miracles and wonders among the people. But he also had a certain amount of opposition from within the synagogue because they didn't appreciate what Stephen was teaching about Jesus. And so they couldn't match up with his wisdom. And so what they decided to do was to secretly plot against him and stir up the people against him. And they tried to frame him for blasphemy. And Acts chapter 6 tells us that they produced false witnesses, created a kangaroo court to sentence him, to shut him up, to silence him. And they brought two charges against him that are going to come up here in chapter 7. One, they, they brought the charge against him that he was speaking against the law of Moses which was inaccurate. And the second charge they brought against him was that he was being critical of the temple. They accused him of going around preaching that Jesus said he was going to tear it down. Now, what Jesus actually said is recorded for us in the Gospels. In John 2, Jesus said these words, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And so Stephen was going around sharing what Jesus had said. Now, Jesus wasn't talking about the temple. He was talking about his body, right? His death and resurrection. You know, if, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. But what they did here is they took Stephen's words, and they did this with Jesus as well, and they twisted them to suit their purposes. And so let's jump into Acts chapter 6. We're just going to read a few verses here to, before we launch into chapter 7. Verse 12 of Acts chapter 6. <coughs> 
So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. Remember, the Sanhedrin is this council of 70 religious leaders who kind of are like the Senate. They run the nation, and they're led by the high priest. Verse 13, they produced false witnesses who testified, this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. So they're, they're really nervous about things changing the way they were. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? Now, oddly enough, as we jump into chapter 7, Stephen doesn't directly defend himself or answer these charges. Instead, what he elects to do is to, to launch into a sermon, and it's the longest sermon in the book of Acts. And he makes two points in his sermon. There are two main points to his sermon. See, every preacher knows you just have to have a few points, just make a couple. And so Stephen drives home two points. The first point that he drives home is this, that the presence of God is not restricted to a building or a temple. The second point that he makes is that the religious leaders, the Sanhedrin, this group of 70, their refusal to receive God's messengers has quite a long history. And so to make these two points, to drive these two points home, Stephen gives the Sanhedrin a brief history lesson. And he starts with the story of Abraham, who is the father of their faith. And he, he goes on in chapter 7 to talk about when, when God first called Abraham, he had, Abraham had no special place to worship. He didn't have a temple or a tabernacle. In verse 2 of chapter 7, Stephen says this to open his sermon. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia. He didn't have a, a, a special land or a temple where God appeared to him. God appeared to him outside and apart from any temple. Remember, that's Stephen's first point. He's just trying to show the religious leaders, you have boxed God into this temple, and, and God wants to move beyond that. And Stephen goes on in his sermon to talk about Abraham, how God gave him and his descendants the covenant of circumcision, which was an expression of their faith and commitment to God. Later on in Stephen's sermon, at the end of chapter 7, he tells his accusers that they have uncircumcised hearts and ears. What's he doing there? He's, he's saying Abraham and his descendants, they, they, God gave them the covenant of circumcision to, to dedicate and commit and proclaim their faith. But you all, you religious leaders today, you have uncircumcised hearts and ears. What he's saying to them is unlike Abraham who worshiped and obeyed God and listened to God without a temple, you have this beautiful temple, but you're neither worshiping nor listening to God. And then Stephen moves his sermon along and he moves into the story of Joseph. How many know the story of Joseph? His brothers sold him into his slavery because they were jealous of him. His father had given him his coat of many colors and his brothers were jealous because he was favored by his father. And so Stephen launches into the story of Joseph and he focuses primarily in Acts chapter 7 on the jealousy of Joseph's brothers. Why is he doing this? Because he's comparing the religious leaders of his day who are accusing him, comparing them to Joseph's brothers. And in verse 9, he says this, Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him 
and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom and enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors couldn't find food. Stephen goes on in his sermon here, and he tells how the same brothers who sold Joseph into slavery eventually come to Egypt looking for food because there's a famine, there's a drought. But when they come, again, Pharaoh has put Joseph second in command, and when they come to ask for food, they come before their brother Joseph. But they don't recognize him. In fact, what Stephen tells us in, in his sermon here is on the first visit, his, Joseph's brothers didn't recognize him. It's not until the second time they come asking for food that they recognize Joseph and are reconciled to him. And this is Stephen's way. He's, he's really clever in his preaching. He, he's, he's pointing out to the Sanhedrin, you guys are worse than Joseph's brothers. Because not only did you try to get rid of Jesus, but you failed to recognize that he was offering you spiritual food. See, what did Jesus tell them? What was one of the things he said? He said, I am the what? The bread of life. And they failed to recognize him. And even worse than, than Joseph's brothers, because even Joseph's brothers, the second time they came to him, recognized him, repented, were reconciled. But Stephen's pointing out, here you are, religious leaders, failing to recognize Jesus again. So Stephen's got two history lessons here. He moves on to his last one, his third one. He, he fast-forwards his sermon through 400 years of history all the way to the story of Moses. And he tells how God raised up Moses to be a deliverer, to deliver the Israelites from Egyptian slavery and bondage. Over the course of the 400 years, when Joseph was second in command, a lot of time had passed, and, the, and, the, and Stephen says in his sermon, a new Pharaoh came in who didn't know Joseph and know God and actually oppressed the Israelites and made them servants and slaves. And he tells us how God raised up Moses to be a deliverer, and that when God first appeared to Moses, Stephen puts this in his sermon, it wasn't in a temple, it was at a burning bush in the desert. Again, we see God coming, showing up, doing something outside and apart from a temple. And, and he says, God sent Moses back to Egypt to deliver the people. God uses Moses in a miraculous way. But verse 39 of chapter 7 says this, But our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him, and they turned their hearts back to Egypt. Again, Stephen's pointing out now, he's giving a history lesson. He's got two points he's making in his sermon. One, God transcends temples. And two, that the religious leaders' refusal to receive God's word, God's messengers, had a long history. And so now he, he's pointing out again that they've done the same thing as the people. When, when God delivered them through Moses, they, their hearts turned back to Egypt. They wanted to go back to what they knew, what they were comfortable with. And so then Stephen comes to his closing arguments, his, his, his close of his sermon, to drive these two points home further. And he's going to leave them with two closing remarks. And his first one's in verse 48 of chapter 7. In verse 48, he says these words, God doesn't live in houses made by human hands. And what he's really saying to them is, is you think, Sanhedrin, religious leaders, you think 
this temple makes you special, but it doesn't. Because God transcends temples. He transcends human structures. He's bigger than the little boxes that you, you try to contain him in and put him in. See, God appeared to Abraham, the father of your faith. God appeared to Moses, the giver of the law, outside of any temple, apart from any temple. Now, it's important to understand that, that Stephen... His criticism wasn't a complete rejection of the temple. He worshiped there. Acts, the book of Acts tells us that all the disciples would gather there for worship. Right? So it wasn't a complete rejection of the temple. He's simply pointing out that God can't be confined to a structure. He's telling them that you're, you're hanging on to a shadow. It's not about the temple. It's about Jesus and the church that he's building. And they didn't like it very much. But, but Stephen's just getting warmed up. That's his first closing comment. His second one comes in verse 51. And now he's fired up. They're about to stone him, by the way. You think he'd be a little bit softer in his preaching, but no. Verse 51, you stiff-necked people. Man, he's going to get rocks thrown at him for that. Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one, and now you have betrayed and murdered him. Whew. Needless to say, they didn't particularly like that closing remark much. When they heard it, Luke, the author of Acts, tells us they started gnashing their teeth. Have you ever seen someone gnash their teeth? They're not happy. When people gnash their teeth and you can see it, not good. <laughs> and, and Luke tells us they're furious. Verse 55, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Isn't it interesting that his sermon starts out he starts his sermon with the glory of God appearing to Abraham, and now it ends with Stephen himself seeing God's glory. And here's the interesting part. They both happen outside of the temple. Again, he's driving his point home, right? Verse 57. At this, talking about the Sanhedrin here, at this they covered their ears, and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. So my son Joshua he learned something recently when, when he doesn't want to hear something you're telling him. He puts his fingers in his ears. He says, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. La, 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 la. <laughs> and that's what the Sanhedrin's doing here. I can't hear you, Stephen. Ah. They don't want to hear God's word and how he's challenging their systems, their structures, their way of life. So they rush at him, they drag him out of the city and begin to stone him. Are you kidding me? Picture that. Gosh, don't ever drag me out and stone. I'm glad there's no stones out front. Man, he's, he's, he's preaching and they're throwing stones at him. They're stoning him to death. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. And while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, Receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Does that prayer sound familiar at all? What did Jesus pray when he was on the cross? 
Luke's gospel tells us, he, he said this, into, my hand, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right? He commits himself to his father. And then he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not what they do. And here's Stephen following right in Jesus' footsteps. He says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And Lord, don't hold this against them. Now, it's here at the end of chapter 7 where a huge shift happens in the book. We'll get into this next, next week and the weeks following. Um, persecution has scaled up dramatically. Remember, at the beginning of Acts, it was just warnings and arrests and overnights in jail, and then it went to flogging, and now it's come to execution. Stephen is the first martyr. And what happened is it caused many of Jesus' followers to flee Jerusalem, to scatter. Uh, and the, the majority of the remaining chapters in the book of Acts happen primarily outside of Jerusalem. See, remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus told them, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, Samaria, and the other ends, utmost ends of the earth, right? And so what we see here is after Stephen's death, after his execution, the, the Christ followers scatter, and the Great Commission actually starts to like, take place, starts to happen. They become his witnesses, not just in Jerusalem any longer, but in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. At this point in the book, we're also introduced to a man named Saul, who's watching Stephen be stoned to death. And the first verse of chapter 8 says, says this, that Saul approved of their killing Stephen. Now, this man named Saul here, who it says the people who are stoning Stephen dropped their coats by his feet, he becomes none other than the Apostle Paul. And so the second half of the book of Acts, it kind of shifts from Peter's kind of leadership and story to the Apostle Paul and his story and how he was converted to following Jesus. And, and of course, we know that most of the New Testament epistles are penned by the, the Apostle Paul. That's none other than Saul who's standing here witnessing this murder. And so that's the end of the book, but I want to close, or the end of the chapter, rather, but I want to close with this. Before we leave here, it's, it's awful easy to read this chapter and be like, man, those religious leaders, they're pretty awful. Like, they killed Stephen for challenging their structures and way of life. But before um, we leave, we should probably take time to inspect our own hearts, because I think most of us here at one time or another have been guilty of something similar. Not, not that we're stoning people, <laughs> not that we're throwing stones at people, but we're pretty good at hurling insults at people who challenge our structures, who challenge our way of life. Uh, I, I believe that part of our human fallen condition is to try to silence God's word when it challenges our way of life and our structures. See, they had the temple that they, they built and really valued and tried to box God in it, but we build our own structures that we tried to box God in. We're fine with God as long as he's not messing around with our, our way of life, our structures. Uh, the religious leaders murdered Stephen because they valued their structures more than they valued the Spirit. They saw what God was doing, that healings were taking place, and the Word of God was spreading, and people were being reconciled to God through Jesus. But, but they... they they valued their structure and religious institution and what they knew and what they were comfortable with more than what the Spirit was doing. They wanted to keep God restricted to this temple because that, that's what they liked, that's what they knew, that's what they were comfortable with. So let me ask you this question. Have you ever tried to restrict God 
and not allow him access to certain parts of your life because you really don't want those to change. Have you ever thought in your mind, God, you can talk to me on Sunday morning when I'm at church, but Friday nights is off limits. That's, that's my time. God, you can, you can talk to me about certain things and I'll listen and I'll even amen and maybe even like raise my hand up and yeah, I'm, I'm hearing that, God, but don't talk to me about that thing, right? See, just like the religious leaders that killed Stephen, we don't like it very much when God messes with the structures we set up, do we? We don't like it very much when God raises up a Stephen and brings a Stephen into our life to challenge some of our structures, to challenge some of the ways that we're living. And sometimes we go to great lengths to silence those things, to silence God's word, don't we? We don't throw rocks, but we throw lots of insults. Are there any areas of your life that you're worried about God messing with? See, the problem that many of us face is this. We segregate out a small corner of our lives for God, and then we wonder why we can't make any spiritual sense out of the rest of our lives. We, we know that God's word says that we should be generous, that we should give to people who, who are lacking and that we shouldn't be greedy. But sometimes we say, God, can, I'm just going to, I'm comfortable with you speaking in some areas of my life, but not that one because I have a, this thing called a financial plan and I've got it all worked out, see? And, and you can't be going to mess around with that. So if you could just stay over in that little corner over there, I'll see you on Sunday and maybe we'll meet up for a little prayer on Wednesday, midweek. And, and, and just don't talk to me about uh, uh, generosity, okay? Because I've got this plan and, and, and I know where I'm supposed to go, right? And then we can't make any sense, any spiritual sense of the rest of our life. Or we know that, that you know, God, we know your word says that we should, we should save sex to work. We're in the covenant of marriage. But, but if you could just not talk to me about sexuality, if you could just stay over um, in that corner, because um, I, I think I've got a pretty good handle on this, um, seem to be doing okay, and um, we'll talk about all the other stuff. Or, or maybe, maybe it's forgiveness, right? And, and you know what God's word says about forgiveness. Are we supposed to forgive those who trespassed against us? We say the Lord's Prayer, right? Um, we're supposed to forgive those who, who mistreat us. But, but sometimes we're like, God, if you could just leave that alone, because I have to have this little angst that gives me the edge that I need to kind of get, get through my life. And, and I, I like not letting them off the hook and forgiving them. So if you could just talk to me about um, the other things, that'd be cool. I'll listen. But, but just kind of, if you could just not, if you could just stay over in that corner. <laughs> See, that's the problem that many of us as followers of Jesus face is we segregate out the small corner of our lives for God. And then we wonder why we can't make any spiritual sense out of the rest. We wonder why we've, we're floundering, right? It's because we're doing the same thing that these religious leaders did. God brings Stephen to challenge him and say, hey, the Spirit is working in ways outside of this temple and people are getting healed and there's signs and wonders and people are being reconciled to God through Jesus and they're getting their sins forgiven. And they're like, oh, oh we, we can't have that. That'll destroy, our, that'll destroy my, our way of life. So if we could just kind of silence that and push that over here, maybe it'll go away. Only it never does. Right? And we do the same thing. Somehow we've convinced ourselves that we can restrict God to this small corner of our lives, and that'll be enough for us. Only it never is. As long as we try to make God an ancillary part of our lives, satisfying spirituality will elude us. 
Why? Because he, he, he has to be more than that. Could you imagine if, if you were, pretend you're in a relationship with someone, and they came up to you and said, listen, here's the things you can talk about to, to me, um, you, you know, your job and um, you know, your car maybe. Um, I don't really want you talking to me about money or my attitude or um, stuff that I do outside of work. Or I, could you just talk to me about this, and we'll just have a relationship about this, but don't, don't, don't talk to me about all these other things. What kind of relationship would that be? You know, that's not one you would want. You want a relationship where, hey, I want to talk, I want to share every part of my life, and I want you to share every part of your life with me. I want to be involved in every sphere of it. We would never choose a relationship that just says, oh, just kind of just don't talk to me about all these things. The only thing you're allowed to talk to me about is, is this. But that's what we do in our relationship with God often. We, we, we say, God, if you could just speak to me about joy and peace and prosperity and um, friendships and uh, um, happiness and, and contentment. Oh, I would love that. Don't, don't talk to me about persecution. Don't talk to me about picking up my cross. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. La, 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 la. <laughs> right? And we're all guilty of that. But here's the thing. I believe that God wants to do great things with us individually and corporately. I really do. I'm excited about engaging the world like the early church did in the book of Acts, except for the stoning part. That We'll just leave that in the book of Acts. But I say that to say this, that we have to position ourselves for those divine moments, that if we want to make spiritual sense out of our lives and out of our church and out of our ministry and out of our occupation and out of our calling, then we can't just put God in a little box we can't restrict him to the temple. We can't restrict him to, to certain areas of our life that we're okay with him speaking to us about, but not the others, right? We have to allow the Holy Spirit, we have to give him permission to access every corner of our lives. We have to give him permission to access every part, to permeate every part. And until we do, we're, we're just going to get to a place where we're, we're just unsatisfied spiritually because God is not involved in every aspect of our life. You know, the scripture says that God is a jealous God. It doesn't mean he's mean or, you know, jealous in the way that we often think about. It means that he wants to be engaged with us fully because he's crazy about us. And when we tell him, no, just, just kind of, you just do your thing over there and I'll let you know when I'm ready to talk to you about stuff. Man, it doesn't go so well for us. And so I want to pray this morning, that God would help us to submit our structures to his spirit. I want to pray that, that we would get the courage to invite the Holy Spirit to dwell in every corner of our lives, that we wouldn't limit him or try to box him in in any way. Um, and we're also going to have prayer up front at the end of each service on Sunday at Church of the Well. We, we have a few folks over here with some prayer team lanyards on, and those are folks who um, really have a gifting at praying with folks and empathizing and, and, and believing God for great things and miracles. And so if you have a sickness, if you have an issue, if you have a hardship, if, you, if you're just at a place where you're like, man, I just need to give God a little bit more of my life or whatever it is, it can be anything, those folks would be up here in this, in this corner. Um, once we start singing and worshiping to close our service, please come up and get prayer. But, but I would like to pray for us all. Is that okay if I say a prayer for us?
to close? All right, let's pray. We'll have the worship team come up. Lord, I, I just stand here before you and before my friends, and I confess, Lord, that uh, I'm guilty of the same things that these religious leaders were guilty of, uh, trying to silence your word when it challenges my way of life, when it challenges the structures I've built that I feel very comfortable with, that I uh, don't want you messing with. And Lord, at times I, I've recognized and seen uh, how that's kept me from experiencing more of you. And so I just ask for forgiveness of that, God. I, I confess that and I pray, Lord, that, that you would help me and my friends, God, to be able to confess that sin of kind of limiting you and boxing you in, keeping you in certain areas of our life, but not allowing you full access to every part of our lives because we don't want to deal with the change. <laughs> but the religious leaders who stoned Stephen to death, they were so afraid of, of changing. They thought that you were going to mess things up, but in fact, you were trying to make them whole. Lord, we do the same thing. Your heart is not to mess up our lives, but to make them whole, to make them fruitful. Lord, we resist you so often. Will you forgive us for that? God, would you give us the courage to believe that you work outside of a Sunday morning service? You work outside of a temple. You work outside of our structures that we construct. You are bigger than all those things. We can't limit you. So Holy Spirit, we give you um, all of our lives, every, every part. We give you this church, every part of it, God. We don't want to close off anything from you. But Lord, we're going to need your courage to be able to do that. We're going to need ears. We don't want uncircumcised hearts and ears. We want to be able to listen. We want you to be able to speak to our hearts. So God, we just give you permission to access every part of us. If there's anything, that, Lord, that we are keeping from you that we just need to repent of and just let it go, just to unlock the door and let your spirit come in and just free us and, and challenge us and, and uh, encourage us, Lord, we want to do that. because We're tired of just floundering around spiritually, not being able to make any sense of our life. So, Lord, do what you, only you can do. No person can do it. No job can do it. No uh, material possession can do it. Only you can satisfy. So God, just invade our lives, invade our church, and we'll give you all the glory for it. We won't, we won't hoard any of that. It just all belongs to you. And we praise you. Even before you start this work, we praise you. Because we know that you're faithful and that you'll do what we ask when it's in accordance with your will. And so we believe. And we ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church at the Well is a community reintroducing Jesus in Vermont through worship, service, creativity, and community.